You are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. We are recording in fabulous study room three of the Portsmouth Public Library in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and my co-host today is Cindy Johnson. It's Florida Week on Lighthearted. Hello, Cindy. Hi, Jeremy. I'm excited about Florida Week. Thank you for joining me this week for Florida Week, Cindy. I know it probably seems like we should be doing Florida Week in the winter when uh, New Englanders usually go to Florida, but we're only talking about Florida now, not actually going there in the middle of summer. Uh, So the middle of summer to me seems like a good time to do Florida Week on the podcast. I don't know if that makes sense, but what's your favorite time of year in Florida, Cindy? I think it makes sense, but my favorite time of year to go to Florida is in the springtime. My family actually has been going down to southwest Florida, uh, specifically Naples, on the Gulf Coast since the early 1970s. So it's a really special place for my family to um, go on vacation, do some shell collecting. It's a beautiful spot. Yes, it is. I've uh, vacationed in Sanibel myself. Uh, There's a lot more to talk about with Florida lighthouses, so we'll certainly be returning after this week. Florida has the longest coastline of any state of the eastern United States, about 1,350 miles. In fact, Florida has more ocean coastline than any state except Alaska. Native Americans inhabited the Florida Peninsula as far back as 14,000 years ago. They left behind plenty of artifacts, but the written history of Florida starts around 1513 when the conquistador Juan Ponce de Leon came over from Spain. Florida was ruled by Spain, France, and Great Britain during the 18th and 19th centuries before it finally became a territory of the United States in 1821. Three years later, the first lighthouse in Florida was built at St. Augustine at the site of an earlier watchtower. Cape Florida Lighthouse on Key Biscayne, the Dry Tortugas Lighthouse, and the first Key West Lighthouse quickly followed. And soon after that, the first Florida Reef Light was built at Sand Key. There were eventually six lighthouses built offshore on the Florida reefs. The state has 29 standing lighthouses in all. A study in 2002 done by the state of Florida estimated that it would take almost $20 million to preserve the state's lighthouses, and that figure has probably gone up since then. The Florida Lighthouse Association has a mission to safeguard the state's remaining lighthouses by supporting community-based restoration, preservation, and education efforts. I urge our listeners to check out the Florida Lighthouse Association online at floridalighthouses.org. St. Augustine, on the Atlantic coast of northeastern Florida, was founded in 1565 by Spanish explorers. It is regarded as the oldest continuously inhabited European established settlement within the borders of the continental United States. The St. Augustine Lighthouse and Maritime Museum has a mission to discover, preserve, present, and keep alive the stories of the nation's oldest port. The Lighthouse and Maritime Museum opened in 1994. In 2002, the museum was awarded the National Trust for Historic Preservation's National Preservation Award, and today the museum serves about 225,000 visitors each year. Also each year, the museum introduces more than 53,000 students to marine sciences and maritime history through a variety of programs. During a visit to St. Augustine in May, I had a chance to sit down with Rick Kane and Jay Smith. 
Rick Kane is Director of Museum Services for the St. Augustine Lighthouse and Maritime Museum. He is also Chairman of the Board of Directors for the Florida Attractions Association, the largest tourism association in the United States. Jay Smith is Office Manager and Executive and Governance Support Manager. Jay is also a historian who teaches at the University of North Florida and lectures and writes about lighthouse history as well. Let's listen to my interview with Rick and Jay now. Rick and Jay, thanks so much for being with me today. I really appreciate it. Really happy to be here. Well, let me, let me uh, before I start asking questions, let me just say uh, it's a thrill for me to be here at the St. Augustine Lighthouse and Museum today for the first time since I was, I believe, three years old. And I don't remember a whole lot about that visit, wow. but I know I was here because there are home movies of me in a baby carriage in front of the lighthouse here. <laughs> so I think it's where I first caught the lighthouse bug. That's so I, I blame this lighthouse. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> it's really great to be back here. But I, again, I don't remember a whole lot about that. So, uh, so first of all, Rick, if you could uh, tell us a little bit about the, the history of the restoration of the lighthouse here that happened back in the 1980s and 90s thanks to the Junior Service League of St. Augustine, which led to the opening of the museum here. I believe that was in 1994. Yeah, that's correct. Um, They did some really good work. The um, keeper's house had been declared surplus property by the U.S. Coast Guard. They put a chain-link fence around the tower, and um, the St. John's County bought the house, the keeper's quarters. It suddenly burned in 1970. It was gutted by fire, and kids were playing in the ruins. They were going to bulldoze it because they were worried about safety. But the Junior Service League, 16 young women stepped in, and they stopped the bulldozers by getting it on the National Register of historic places. And then they raised over a million dollars to restore the house. They also approached the Coast Guard and asked if they could use private funds to restore the tower, which the Coast Guard agreed to. And those two things are what established the St. Augustine Lighthouse and Maritime Museum, a nonprofit museum. And uh, because of their work, which was excellent, um, we were the first lighthouse to be handed over into private ownership by the U.S. Coast Guard under the National Historic Lighthouse Preservation Act in 2002. Uh, Rick and Jay, uh, this question is uh, for either or both of you. St. Augustine is a very accessible lighthouse. It's open uh, every day, except I believe Thanksgiving and Christmas. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in in addition to being open to the public, there's also a a lot of special programs here going on all the time. seems like there's always something uh, going on in addition to the opportunity to climb the lighthouse. Could you tell us a little bit about uh, some of those programs? Well, we have several different programs operating on the site. Um, We are not only just a historic attraction, but we also have a boat building program that is basically using the skills from our past, Florida's maritime past, in order to build new boats. Um, We also have a maritime archaeology archaeology program, excuse me, um, on site as well, um, which is a um, source for some of our exhibits on property. But we have... Uh, what we call uh, demos throughout the afternoon or through the through the day where visitors can learn a little bit more about the maritime history, the lighthouse history, our archaeology program, and our boat building. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely um, trying to be a lot more focused on educating our visitors about what's here and the history that exists here as well. So lots of opportunity, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, um, especially the archaeology programs, I think, are very popular with people because we have seven marine archaeologists on staff to dive on shipwrecks mm. offshore. And uh, some of the quick half-hour programs feature their work 
uh, in depth, as well as boat building and as well as um, traditions of the sea and seafaring in our maritime traditions. But um, um, that's pretty much what the entire basement of the keeper's house is taken up with um, archaeology work. And I do want to mention again, we are in the offices of the St. Augustine Lighthouse and Museum. So if you hear conversation going on in the background, uh, intercom announcements and so forth, you are hearing the business of lighthouse preservation going on even as we speak. Yes, so it's, it's all a good thing. Every day. Yeah, absolutely. It never ends for sure. Uh, so, uh, Rick, I know that you and uh, I believe Jason Smith lead what are called Keeper's Walks. Do you want to say a little bit about those? Yeah, we started those um, last year, actually, and, and uh, we're a working lighthouse. I mean, when we took ownership from the Coast Guard, we promised them we'd keep the light operational as the navigation beacon for St. Augustine, Florida. Um, so that continues to this day. So we are actually actively taking care of this lighthouse, just like the Coast Guard did, just like the U.S. Lighthouse Service did, although <laughs> I'm thankful for automated systems. Um, Jason and I are the two primary physical keepers here on the property uh, with uh, also David Pop, one of our other maintenance guys. But Jason and I do keepers tours. We wanted to give folks a chance to actually talk with a real lighthouse keeper and find out what life was like for them because we have a lot of questions about that kind of thing. And so uh, there was great interest and, and we've, we started these tours uh, as we're able to uh, walk around with guests and give them a one-on-one -on -one with a real lighthouse keeper in the 21st century to find out what our lives are like and things like that. Because people all the time say, how the heck did you get this job? You know, and um, it, it can get pretty routine just like any other job. Um, but there's still a certain um, romance about it in many people's minds. And so they're, they're very interested in finding that out. And mm -hmm. this gives them the opportunity to do that. Yeah, well, I think it's a great thing. Uh, can we talk a little bit about the exhibits in the museum, which is right below us here in the former uh, Keeper's Quarters? What are some of the highlights of the exhibits in the museum? Well, as Rick had said, we have a lot of um, exhibits geared around our maritime archaeology. Um, our ranked exhibit, which is in the Keeper's House, takes up um, the entire basement as well as part of the first floor um, with items that have been pulled from our local um, waters around the lighthouse. Um, around the American Revolution, so guests are able to walk through and learn a little bit more about our nation's history as it reflects um, in our Florida, um, Southwestern Florida waters. Um, but we also have um, information about the lighthouse restoration. Um, people always seem to kind of um, move closer toward or, or, or be interested in the um, the physical artifacts. So we have some canon um, that we've pulled up, and of course, the kids always seem to gravitate towards towards that. Um, and guests, like as Rick had said, guests often ask about life here at the lighthouse. So they're of course able to go into the oil rooms and um, the offices of the the keepers at the base, the keepers tower, but. Um, being able to climb, I think, is, is something that, that pretty much everybody enjoys or at least looks forward to doing. But we have a number of different exhibits geared around our maritime history that, you know, is really, I think the Lighthouse does a great job in presenting that information, um, and people seem to really gravitate towards that because there's always that romance of the sea. Yeah, the latest one in progress, we have two um, World War II structures 
on property or the garage was actually built for the keepers in 1936 we just finished the restoration of that it's actually turned into our snack bar um, but the entire city of st augustine was turned into coast guard training base during the war so thousands of sailors reported here and there were 20 nazi u-boats off the coast sinking shipping the most successful attack against america during the entire war and nobody knows about it so right across from the little snack bar is a world war ii coast guard barracks we just finished the physical restoration of that and we'll be installing an exhibit to tell that story about the nazi U-boats and the U.S. Coast Guard Beach Patrol during World War II. So that's an exciting expansion of what we're doing here. And then folks can also walk in and look into our wet lab where archaeology artifacts are restored. Uh, what about people who uh, might think they, they probably don't want to visit here because the lighthouse is so tall, 219 steps, right? Uh, people might think, wow, I, I could never climb that lighthouse. So they might think they don't want to visit because they're not going to climb the lighthouse. Is it worth uh, for is it, is it worth the time of people like that to, to still visit here even though they can't climb the lighthouse? I think absolutely because we have such dedicated and passionate staff and volunteers. We have a couple hundred, 250 volunteers, 300, something like that, um, that are passionate to tell them our history. They don't have to climb all the way up the tower. If you can just make it to the second landing above the well, you can see the ocean from the lower east window. We also have a big screen TV down in a multi-purpose room that they can go down and look at that actually gives them a virtual climb up the tower and the view from the top. So there's there are a lot of other things to see. And um, but it is a historic structure, so there's no elevator. You know uh, that would ruin ruin the lighthouse. We have a lot of people say, "Why didn't you put in an elevator?" No, no, that would ruin it. But um, but yeah, there's a lot to learn about mm-hmm. the lives of the keepers here and, and the importance of lighthouses in the history and development of our country. Mm-hmm. And um, they can encounter all of that without ever climbing the tower. Sure. Uh, I know there was some recent work done on the keepers' house. Do you want to say a little bit about that, either of you? Yeah, we um, we had to replace the roof. The roof was last replaced in 2005. And um, interestingly, we found that the, the nails that were holding down the shake shingles um, were, had completely disintegrated in some areas. And we actually went through two hurricanes, Hurricane Matthew and Hurricane Irma, in... Uh, 2016, 2017, and we didn't lose much roof, which was a shock. <laughs> so, so that was good. But we did have to replace the roof on the keeper's house and the two summer kitchens that are attached to the building, as well as uh, some windows. The constant, constant forces of the ocean and salt air um, wreak havoc on these structures, and that's what kind of the challenge of historic preservation. Because you get a little group together, they raise a lot of money to restore a lighthouse, and they think, okay, we're done. But then you open it to the public, and the traffic from the public destroys the property, and the weather and all the inclement things that happen to to uh, cast iron and mortar and wood, um, wood rot and things like that. Uh, the point is, preservation is ongoing. You're not going to just restore a spot and, and rest. You're going to be constantly looking for funds and constantly asking people for their support and help. And so the roof project was one of those. We actually got a grant from the state of Florida to help do that and uh, a bunch of windows we were replacing in the keeper's house. The last work we did on the tower was 2015 and um, we did a bunch of corrosion repair in the lantern and painted the outside. That was a a minor (laughs) $280,000. One of the most important things I think um, for the museum is when guests come to visit um, they are actually helping us preserve the lighthouse. Mm -hmm. So the ticket admission, site price, all of that stuff um, helps us be able to do what we do, sure. and I think we try to communicate that to our to our guests to make sure that they they realize that by coming in and looking at it and doing you know taking pictures and posting things on social media, 
they're helping us do our job. Yeah. Which is a big yeah. thank you. And we see about 53,000 school-aged kids a year. Yes. You're helping fund our summer camps yeah. and uh, our archaeology work and, and all of those things. So yeah. it all goes back into the mission of the museum. Yeah. Well, that is a really important thing to remind people and of. Most people don't know that we're a nonprofit. They think we're connected to the federal government or state government. Um, and we saw a huge increase in terms of um, flow and traffic flow from the shutdown, the government shutdown earlier in the year um and that was a learning experience for a lot of people because they didn't realize that we weren't mm-hmm. connected to the federal government but yeah. we are our own yeah. nonprofit. sure so. sure this question is for both of you i'll start with jay uh what is the most special thing uh for you about uh saint augustine lighthouse and museum and the work you do here i i'm a native um, which is very unusual um i'm from saint augustine and growing up i can remember the lighthouse being behind a fence. Um, and I think what the Junior Service League and what the museum has done in the years since, um, what they've done is just amazing. Um, it's There's a lot of pride, I think, in our community for our lighthouse, but there's so much history, and it's amazing how many layers of history are here. It's, it's really, I think if you're coming to St. Augustine, you love history and you want to learn more about St. Augustine, this is definitely a place you have to visit. Mm-hmm. And I don't say that just because I'm getting paid by the lighthouse, but it's a personal feeling too. Right. Before I ask Rick the same question, I, Jay, I just, we haven't mentioned it yet, but you personally do presentations on the history mm-hmm. of the keepers and so forth mm-hmm. here as well. So do you want so to mention I, I that? I teach history in Jacksonville um, at the University of North Florida. So um, I've taught Florida history, and I, I used to bring my class here um, because it's always an interesting period of history around the British period when the British were here, and the museum does a great job of presenting that history. But um, I'm working on um, a series about our early keepers and what their life was like and who they were, and it's amazing how connected to the community these men and women were. Um, and that's probably the most fascinating thing to me is it's something that we, we hold dear in our mission statement that, that we are a community-based organization. And mm-hmm. it's interesting to see the history connect to that as well. Yeah. And Rick, what's the most special thing for you? Um, I think for a kid that was raised in the Ozark Mountains of southwest Missouri to be a lighthouse keeper for the last nearly 20 years um, is an extraordinary thing. Um, I never saw it coming. It was kind of accidental. Um and so this, the special times for me are, are when I'm, I guess, here and I have it all to myself. After hours, an alarm goes off in the middle of the night. I have to meet the police and, and make sure the site's okay. But generally when that happens, I'll climb the tower um, at 3 o'clock in the morning and go out on the deck, and it's quiet. And there's some shrimp boats offshore, and the city's quiet, and the light is on, and the beacon is, uh, is uh, keeping its correct to watch. Uh, in the timing of the light and and just to see the mechanism moving just like it did back in the 1800s there's just not really a way to describe that the specialness of that and i'm hoping that that this kind of thing maintains awareness that these these structures are preserved for future generations because they're really really incredibly important structures we're not going to save all of them but we'll save quite a few and the other thing for me is just to be in a community of professionals uh, Mike Vogel up in Buffalo and, and Don Terrace in Gross Point and uh, a good buddy of mine just retired from Split Rock Lighthouse in Minnesota, Lee Radzik. He was there 37 years and living in one of the keeper's quarters on the bluff up there on the North Shore. And those relationships are invaluable. You know, it's just been a treasure for me, for my career. Yes. 
How many stripes does the lighthouse have? The lighthouse has four, two white and two black. And if you look at the lighthouse, you, you have to look at the base. There's a girdle of cast iron that goes around the base of the tower. And just above that is where the painted stripes start. And so if you look at, say, the, the southwest black stripe, you can follow it all the way around. And it terminates underneath the collar on the northeast side. So it terminates on the opposite side it started on. So according to the U.S. Coast Guard, um, there are four stripes, two black and two white. Okay. And how often does it have to be painted? About every five to six years. Um, again, the last time we painted was, uh, 2015 and, uh, we're just starting to see just a hint of the wonderful green tint that appears on all the north sides of buildings in the state of Florida. Hmm. And we have to uh, stay on top of that and treat it. So it looks nice, but the new, um, new products are excellent. We, we tried a new type of paint on the lantern, which is safety red, red fades the fastest in the sun. And in past years I'd paint it and it would fade in eight months to some dull maroon color. This paint was guaranteed not to fade for 10 years. And it has been doing that. It was developed for water towers, but it costs $400 a gallon. Mm -hmm. So it's a good good product. (laughs) Okay. Lighthouse looks pretty good to me. Uh, Now uh, this next question, uh, I have to ask this. I know a lot of listeners will be disappointed if I didn't ask this. And let me uh, say that I, you know, my personal kind of home base, I live in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and my home base is Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse. And we have a lot of ghost stories there. And some years ago, we had uh, the TV show, which isn't on anymore, but on the sci-fi channel, Ghost Hunters, where they, they came there. And I asked one of the cast members, what was the favorite show that she had ever done that she had taken part in? And she said the St. Augustine Lighthouse. So I need to ask you, is St. Augustine Lighthouse haunted? <laughs> either one either one of you can answer this. Like, hmm. um that's a hard question i've seen i've seen the ghost hunters episode that she's referring to um and it it doesn't surprise me um i haven't encountered anything myself mm-hmm. i will say that um we do have um the dark of the moon tours yeah um on the weekends that we offer um which i will tell you i've been here at night when there's nobody else around um if we have an event and I'm closing up um, and it is an eerie feeling. Um, I encourage guests to come for the day to, to the day tours um, and then come at night because it's a completely different feel. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about the light, um, the beacon at, at, at night when there's not a lot of people around. It's kind of freaky. Yeah. I don't, I don't really like to be in the buildings um, without the lights on. And I actually had to climb the tower in the 2004 hurricane season with no power. Um, and the wind howling, and it was pretty eerie feeling. But um, Ghost Hunters was actually here in 2005, and um, um, I think that episode is still one of the top episodes mm-hmm. on their program. Yeah, mm-hmm. and our attendance has been way up. I think it's like 15 percent, but just because of that um, that interest in ghost hunting. There are a lot of old stories associated with the site. Um, three little girls drowned here in the 1870s. Two of them were the daughters of the of the gentleman who was Hezekiah Pitty, who was in charge of building the tower in the keeper's house. And um, a lot of people say they see little girls in the windows and hear little girls talking and laughing. And there was also a young black girl who died. We don't, unfortunately don't know her name. And there are just a lot of other stories associated with the site. It's very well known. And people come from all over the world here to have an actual uh, ghost hunting experience. I think there's 15 companies in town doing ghost tours. And they all say, we go to the lighthouse, but they don't come into the lighthouse. You can only mm-hmm. come into the buildings on our tour on Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights. So, um, and there's a Facebook page as well. 
um, that, and people post all their experiences there. So um, I haven't experienced anything, but I don't sit around in the dark looking for ghosts. When I was a kid, if, <laughs> if my group of friends said, that house is haunted, let's go over there, I would go the opposite direction. Thank you. Okay. Well, and apparently the, the most active area of the lighthouse is the basement in the keeper's house. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So um, our, our ghost tour, tour guides are always quick to point that out. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Most of the activity on the TV show happened in the tower, but yeah. but historically, it's in the basement of the keeper's house. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, fair enough. Yeah, we'll leave it there. <laughs> uh, so, anything else either of you would like to add? If there, if there's any one thing that we haven't already touched on that you'd like to say to our listeners, this is your chance to say it. I, I just appreciate working here. It really gives you um, a lot of insight into how lighthouses work. Um, I never would have thought I would be working in a lighthouse, but um, you know, one of the things I do have to say is our, our staff and our volunteers absolutely love it. And it's a contagious feeling when you're here and all of these people, including Rick, just really love what they do and the fact that they're working here at a lighthouse. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of us find our, our, our way here. Um, none of us would have probably thought about this as a career path, but um, it's just a lot of fun, but it's also very rewarding to be able to share all of that with our visitors. I guess we might want to give a shout out to Kathy Fleming, the I director just, here for the past yeah, 25 years. True. I was <laughs> just going to say Kathy Fleming has been here. I think 25 years mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, took over for Colin Chambers, a, a very dedicated um, historic preservationist. And her dedication and commitment to this mission um, has been just incredible. And yeah. so everything that's here is based on her good work for the past 25 years. She has been a leader. She has set the mission. She's overseen the, the, the entire operation and not just had, had a, you know, a small vision. She didn't want to just mm-hmm. restore the lighthouse and open it to the public. And hence, we've, we're, we're a Smithsonian Affiliate Maritime Museum with a, with a research arm that dives on, on shipwrecks offshore. The last wreck, by the way, they worked on was just placed on the National Register of Historic Places because of the story it tells about our nation's birth during the American Revolution. So um, it's just been incredible, the experience here. But there are the people, you know, there's people travel all over to lighthouses and you I think it's because they're symbols of hope and they're symbols of strength. They just kind of stand there and say, try to knock me down. I'm not going away, you know, and it gives Mm -hmm. people hope in rough times. So, Mm -hmm. well, well said by both of you. So again, thank you so much for your time today. And I'm going to try to uh, gather my strength to climb the the tower, (laughs) (laughs) but thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Great. Yeah, it's been fun. In the last episode of Lighthearted, we told you about the development of early lighthouse lamps, including the important invention in France of the argon lamp around 1780. Argon lamps would be widely used in lighthouses. In today's history segment, we're going to tell you about an American named Winslow Lewis. Lewis was born in 1770 and worked for some years as a ship captain based in Wellfleet on Cape Cod, Massachusetts. In 1808, Lewis patented something called a binnacle illuminator. Using this invention, the light from an argon-style lamp and parabolic reflectors illuminated the binnacle, the stand that held a ship's navigational instruments. Lewis also experimented with lenses that could be set into a ship's deck planking to illuminate the areas below deck. Lewis also began experiments with lighthouse illumination around 1807. 
He patented a system of argon-style lamps paired with parabolic reflectors in 1810. He first demonstrated his system in the cupola of the State House in Boston. Lewis's system was subsequently installed at Boston Light in May 1810. Six whale oil-fueled lamps were installed in two parallel rows about 15 inches apart. A parabolic reflector was placed behind each lamp. The Boston Marine Society urged the adoption of Winslow Lewis's apparatus in all American lighthouses. One of the selling points was that the Lewis system used far less oil than the spider lamps that were commonly in use. Congress passed an act in March 1812 that gave Lewis a monopoly to supply all United States lighthouses with his, quote, reflecting and magnifying lanterns, unquote. At an office on State Street in Boston, Lewis assumed the title of Superintendent for Lighting the United States Lighthouses. By the end of 1812, Lewis had received at least $16,000 from the government for installing his lamps and reflectors. Lewis's lamps were actually poorly modified argon lamps, and his parabolic reflectors were made of thin copper that warped when exposed to heat, and their silver plating rubbed off from repeated cleanings. The assemblies were poorly made and quickly fell apart. Lewis also tried the use of green glass magnifying lenses in some lighthouses. One inspector noted that the magnifying lens, quote, made a bad light worse, unquote. But Lewis had the respect and friendship of Stephen Pleasanton, the fifth auditor of the Treasury, who was in charge of the nation's lighthouses. Pleasanton had been working at the U.S. Patent Office at the time that Lewis applied for the patent on his lighting system. In spite of his lighting system's many flaws, the Lewis lighting systems remained the standard in American lighthouses for about 40 years, long after much of the rest of the world had adopted the use of the more efficient Fresnel lens invented in France in 1822. In 1815, Lewis won another contract that gave him a monopoly to equip American lighthouses with whale oil. He also branched out into contracting work and built many lighthouses. The lighthouses he built were made of brick or stone, and they were poorly constructed. Most had to be rebuilt, and only a few survive today. The oldest surviving Winslow Lewis-built lighthouse is at Sapelo Island in Georgia. The 1820 lighthouse there is the second oldest brick lighthouse tower in the country. In the next episode of Lighthearted, we'll get into one of the greatest advancement in lighthouse history, the invention in France of the Fresnel lens. Trivia time! The first people to answer the following question will win prizes. Here is today's trivia question. Where was the first lighthouse in Florida built? Again, where was the first lighthouse in Florida built? The first person to answer the question correctly gets a copy of the book Lighthouses of America, published in association with the U.S. Lighthouse Society. It's a beautiful 176-page hardcover book featuring stunning photographs of lighthouses across the country taken by society photographers. The second person to answer correctly gets an official U.S. Lighthouse Society passport. The Lighthouse Passport Program provides enthusiasts the opportunity to help preserve lighthouses, as well as a wonderful way to keep a pictorial history of their lighthouse adventures. You can learn more about the Passport Program at uslhs.org. To enter, send your answer in an email to me at jeremy at uslhs.org. Please include your mailing address. Be sure to say you are answering the trivia question in Lighthearted Episode 14, 
And again, send it in an email to jeremy at uslhs.org. That's J-E-R-E-M-Y at uslhs.org. Before we wrap up this episode of Lighthearted, we want to mention that the U.S. Lighthouse Society is looking for photos of lighthouse keepers. Was an ancestor or relative of yours a keeper? If so, the U.S. LHS would love to get a copy of a photo. The Society is trying to compile as many lighthouse keeper photos as possible and will make these photos available to the public via the database of information at archives.uslhs.org, also known as the J. Candace Clifford Lighthouse Research Catalog. You can scan the photos or photograph them with your cell phone camera and email them to keepers at uslhs.org. Again, please send your photographs of lighthouse keepers to keepers at uslhs.org. That concludes another episode of Lighthearted. And as always, thanks to all the staff and volunteers of the U.S. Lighthouse Society. A special shout-out also to all the staff and volunteers of the American Lighthouse Foundation. And while I'm at it, special thanks to everyone out there who works or volunteers for any lighthouse organization. We are all on the same team. Thanks to our guests in this episode, Rick Kane and Jay Smith of the St. Augustine Lighthouse and Maritime Museum. And a quick hello to the members of the Friends of New England Lighthouses Facebook group. Also, I want to mention again that the guitar interludes that are often heard on this podcast are played by my good friend Joe Rivers, a very accomplished musician and producer. I haven't mentioned that in a while. And we want to remind people that they can learn more about the U.S. Lighthouse Society by going to uslhs.org. There's lots of information on their domestic and international tours, as well as tons of historic information and other resources. That's right. And, of course, if you're on the New Hampshire seacoast, please stop by for one of our Sunday afternoon open houses at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse in Newcastle. That's right. The lighthouse is open on Sundays from 1 to 5, but we also have a few other fundraising events throughout our season. Check PortsmouthHarborLighthouse.org to read more about those, but they include a photography workshop and cruise on August 17th. We're also having some haunted tours this season, one per month on a Saturday night in July, August, and September, as well as our five lighthouse crews on September 14th. That's right, Cindy. Also, uh, I want to say to our listeners, if you enjoy this podcast, please help us spread the word. We are recording this on July 6th. It's been a little over a month since Lighthearted made its debut, and so far there have been a bit over 1,500 downloads. That's not bad for a new podcast about a niche or niche subject like lighthouses, but we're hoping to reach a larger audience and we need your help. Tell your friends, please uh, spread the word, share links on social media. Uh, any way you can spread the word is appreciated. We really appreciate your support very much. And with that, thank you for listening. And until next time, keep, keep a, a good, good light. light. I'm this little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine